All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I want to congratulate, well, for tomorrow anyways, Mrs. Colleen and Mr. Miles, 66 years of marriage, 66 years. That's excellent. Congratulations. I don't know which one had it the worst, but when Bentley was born, I guess both of you did, huh? I love you, Bentley. Just kidding. Hey, congratulations. That's a long time to be married. If we could all model that, amen. Folks, turn in your Bibles to James. We're in chapter 4 of James. We're looking at verses 13 through 17. Verses 13 through 17. And it reads, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I titled this sermon, Best Laid Plans, because here's the thing with best laid plans. Even the most carefully and detailed plans can go wrong when the outcome of these plans is uncertain. In fact, Proverbs 19.21, Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It is His purpose that prevails. Folks, we're talking about the Lord's will for our lives. Presumptive planning. That first verse brought us into something what we call presumptive planning. Self-reliance self-assurance, self-assertion, self-confidence. Everything is about self in that presumptive planning. And when we presume, right, presumption, presumptive, it's a belief governed by probability. It's an assumption to expect or assume with confidence, supposing to be true without any proof. Two weeks from now, I'm going to make a million dollars. I have zero proof of that, but here's my certainty of it. This is what we're talking about when we look at presumptive planning. So look at verse 13. It says, uh, come now. This means attention. I need your attention because we're going to shift in topic. We're now talking about something a little different. While all the other instructions from James are going to be present in this text, he's saying, come now. I need your attention. It's a shift. See, James, again, in this text is introducing an imaginary person or persons, for the sake of argument, right, who represent an error in their thinking and planning in which, is, uh, excuse me, in which he wishes to correct. He is not condemning business. He is not attacking the making or the act of making a profit. That's not what he's doing. He is bringing to light that the, uh, excuse me, the presumption of one's thinking in one's life, right, plans for the future, 
and those successes rest in the power of one's hand without the involvement of God and His will for that very life. That's what He wants to bring to light. What does it say here? Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Today or tomorrow, here is our time schedule. This is when we're going to leave. This is the day we'll depart. Such and such a town. Here is where we will go. Here is the location in which we will perform our business. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to spend a year. Here is how long we are going to stay. I have fixed this amount of time. This is how long we'll be. And then trade and make a profit. Here's what we will do. This is the business at hand. Now, this text may seem normal. It may seem normal. Uh, um, Because what is wrong with that kind of planning? It may even seem routine to us. Yeah, they're just planning a business trip. But this text represents life. It represents life. See, this presumptuous confidence in one's thinking and actions, which does not account for the uncertainty of life, and which dismisses dependence on God, is what the apostle is referring to here. As he expounds on the brevity of life and the issue of one's arrogant lifestyle. That's what James is calling this. It's an arrogance. There was a teacher, <clears throat> an elementary school teacher, and it was Christmas time, and her and her husband had built this awesome nativity scene in the corner of the classroom. And it was for a living nativity, which you guys are probably familiar with. So as the kids were running around, scrambling, trying to figure out what animal they'd play or what character they'd play from the nativity, there was this young boy just kind of going back and forth, looking at the set here, kind of puzzled. And the teacher came up to him and says, well, why are you so confused? He goes, well, I'm trying to see and figure out where does God fit in? He was looking at this nativity, and while everybody was running around trying to be these other things, there was no room for God. Where does he fit in? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, unfortunately for a Christian believer, this still happens in our life. Maybe not on a Sunday morning, maybe not in Bible studies, but in our everyday practical life, even with our planning, where does God fit in? You do not know what tomorrow will bring, yet these were living and planning is if they knew what tomorrow would bring. They had knowledge of the future, but they didn't. How could they truly know that they'd still be alive the next day? There is not a... a, 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 Just talk about car crashes, because I know we had a bad one recently. Nobody plans to be in a wreck. Nobody plans for the repercussions and devastation of a wreck. We don't have knowledge that's going to happen because we would get out of the way. We would pull to the side. It's shocking for us. And there's no one that's been in a bad car wreck that says, I was prepared for that. I was ready. No. We don't know if we'll be alive the next day. How could they know if they would prosper in the business in which they were going to um, act upon? How did they know they'd prosper? How could they know the time they were allotting? We'll spend a year there. How did they know that they were not going to face some form of adversity? We have no authority or power over our future. 
We don't hold that power. We are unable to determine, excuse me, to determine what will happen within a single day, even more in a single hour. Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 27 says this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? We can't. But as the text reveals, people continually form plans as if it were a habit with certainty of it happening. The future is none, it's unknown to us. It's unknown. We cannot infiltrate the future. We cannot penetrate the future. So it is unknown, and that future for us will always be unknown. I love the verse in Proverbs 27.1. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And that's powerful. There is one certainty about life, and that certainty is this. It is uncertain. It's a mystery, but not to God. Not to God. So he asks a great question in this. What is your life? Think about it. Right now, you, what is your life? Scripture tells us that it is a mist. It's a vapor, here and then gone. All of our planning depends on the continuance of life. I think we could all agree on that. Your life has to continue in order to structure and outline and form and plan. It has to continue. But life is frail. It's uncertain. It's transitory in nature. So how are we then to build upon a future? How can we count on the permanence of a vapor or the permanence of a mist? Got to go to the mountains in Virginia over the summer. Family went for four days. The very first morning that we woke up, we got to experience what they call mountain fog. And it was awesome. We were on the highest part of this mountain. And I guess it was like a cloud of fog. It had encircled where we were at. It was like we were walled in, protected from everything. And it was outstanding to see. But the problem was, an hour later, it was gone. There was no remnant of this fog. I mean like that. And folks, the lives of people are like this fog. <clears throat> Life may seem long to us because we measure it in what? We measure in years. So it seems long. But in contrast to eternity, it is but a vapor. Psalm 144, verse 4, says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. So instead of living in presumption, structuring your, structuring your life in self-reliance, outlining your future, right, based on a life that is frail, based on a life that is brief, our mindset should be, if the Lord wills. James says that within his text, if the Lord wills. Now, here is the focus and the point of this whole discourse. We've been building it up. Here is the point of this whole discourse. It says, if we live, excuse me, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I love the way that's put. We will do this or that if the Lord wills. 
And this takes us right back, folks, to today or tomorrow. We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So we will live and do this or that. But according to the Lord's will, there, that is the difference. As created creatures, our proper course of action is in humility and submission to God and His Word. Church family, applying this genuine knowledge of dependence on God in all of our activities and all of our endeavors. This comes from humility and submission to God, and we've talked about that throughout the book of James. And there's a purpose in that submission. There is a purpose in submitting to that authority. There is a purpose into applying the general knowledge that the Scriptures present to us. So let's go back. And this is a tough one. What is the Lord's will? Have you ever thought to yourself, how do I know if it's the Lord's will or if it's my will? Because sometimes we say, God, I got a great idea. (laughs) You're going to love it. Here's what I want to do, God. God's like, whoa, that's not my plan for you. That's not my will. So how do we know if it's the Lord's will or if it's my will? How can I differentiate between my thinking and planning and what the Lord's will is for, for this life that belongs to Him? we got to remember that our lives, our very existence, belong to God right there in the palm of His hands. But we try to take ourselves right out of His hands and say, I've got this. God, I've got this. In all things, I've got this. I know you know what you're doing, but I'm me, and I know what I'm doing. That's what we look at sometimes. Am I to vocalize at the Lord's will in every step I take throughout the day? Claire, could you imagine coming to church and say, Mark, we need tables and chairs set up. And I say, well, Pat, let me pray about that because I'm not sure that's the Lord's will, right? Especially if I'm having a lazy day. Do I every, if the Lord wills. And listen, I'm not knocking it. If you want to pray if the Lord wills whatever everything, God bless you. But that's not what he's saying. The meaning here is not saying the words in repetition of every minute of every day. If the Lord wills encompasses a timeless truth that should always be found in the attitude and actions of God's people. If the Lord's will is our attitude, it's in our actions. This is you and I recognizing our complete dependence on Him in all of life's plans, in all of life's activities, in all of life's events with reference to His will. He alone keeps us, folks. He alone prospers us. He alone can frustrate and prevent all of our best laid plans. Why? Because all things are under His control. All things. All that we are in this moment, right now, you and I, in this moment, is in His hands. All that we will ever be is in His hands. All that we have is in His hands. We can base our assurance and nothing else but God. And I don't know about you, I love assurance. I love it. And the only assurance that a person can truly have in this world is the love of God. So, true and godly wisdom brings us in submission to Him 
and his word. And this places us in his will, if the Lord wills. Now, I want to explain something about God to my best of my ability. Let's talk about secrets versus what's been revealed. Okay. God's thoughts are not my thoughts. You want to know why? Because I'm not God. Either are you. Does he reveal his thoughts to us? Yes, he can reveal thoughts, but we don't know them all. God's ways are his ways. Can I know all his ways? No, because I am not God. He alone is, but he reveals some of them. And guess what? I don't know God's full will, neither do you. We don't have that, but we do have his will that he has revealed. And where is his will revealed? It's in his word. In God's word, his will for us, it's not a secret, it is revealed. If you want to know God's will, God's word, guess what? I know for a fact that it is not God's will for my life for me to steal. I know that. Scripture tells me. I know that it's not in God's will for me to murder. But guess what? In God's will, I know he wants me to give thanks in all things. That's his will for me. I know he wants me to bear good works because of the good fruit. That's his will for me. I know that he wants me to love others just as I love myself because it's his will to care for other people, especially those in need, because it is his will. How do I know that? Because it's revealed. And God reveals to us what he chooses to reveal. Folks, the Holy Spirit will illuminate the word for you. When you dive into God's word and you are really pursuing him and you want to know him, the Holy Spirit will illustrate this. He will, he will bring this to life for you. But if we are to know his will, folks, let's go back to Christianity 101. We have to know God. You have to have a relationship and know God. You, it's not the other way around. Well, I'm going to know God's will first, and then I'm, really, I'm going to introduce myself to this God. And he sounds fantastic. No, you know God first. If your goal is to know God's will for your life, if that's your goal, then you must know God and who he is. I love the verse in Romans 12. The second verse of Romans 12 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Folks, a child of God is transformed by the Spirit. We are not conforming to the world. We are transformed by the Spirit. So as our mind is renewed, as our heart is renewed, something wonderful begins to happen. We begin to understand who God is and see this revealed will that he has for us. We can't conform to the world. Worldly wisdom is not going to bring you to this place. Conforming to the world is not going to bring you to this place. It's the transformation by the Spirit. So we search for this. We pursue this because here's why. If we want to live out the phrase, if the Lord wills, then we have to let the Spirit transform us, renewing heart and mind. And that is through the Word of God. He will reveal Himself to you just like He will reveal His will. James goes on to talk about boasting and arrogance. 
The arrogance that James is denouncing is most likely coming from the self-confidence of these Jewish businessmen who were presumptuously planning their lives without any regard to God's will. And this takes us right back to verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go here. We're going to spend this much time, and this is what we're going to do. It takes us right back to that. So i got to ask you, where does this confidence come from? Is it on the reliance of ourselves? Is it on the reliance of our skills, our talents? Is that is what is competing with God? What kind of wisdom are we applying to this presumptive planning? How can we be so certain of success? You know, James tells us this kind of mindset, this kind of planning is evil. And I know we don't want to be called out and called evil, but he's telling us in arrogance of planning and thought and thinking, when you leave God out and you're boasting on the power of self, it is arrogance, it is evil. And I'm reminded of the parable of the rich fool. I absolutely love this parable. It's in Luke 12, 16 through 21. Luke 12. And he told them, and he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Church family, in a moment of any given hour, of any given day, our best laid plans can face the ultimate defeat because you and I do not possess the slightest power to control the events of our lives. This kind of arrogance, this kind of boasting, James says, is evil. And we all know we don't want to be identified by arrogance. We don't want to be identified by evil. Scripture tells us in James 4.17, that last verse, and this, oh boy, this hits us. This is a slap in the face, guys. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Folks, this is, listen, a sin of commission, a sin of commission is much more visible and clearly defined than a sin of omission, okay? So with the sin of omission, we fail to act in power. We fail to act in function. We fail uh, in action to do something that we could have or should have done in the first place. We fail to perform when we could have. That's the sin of omission. The sin of commission is when we sin out of the actions that we perform, out of those actions. So in other words, going back to a mission, when we have the ability to do good in any case, in any case and fail to do that good, it is a sin. Now James is doing something really neat here in verse 17, to close this text here. While verse 17 covers multiple applications, 
I mean, think about the umbrella of applications this verse covers when you fail to do what's right. But within the context of the verses we've read today, it is clear that we acknowledge something, and that is how brief and unpredictable our lives are, especially building a life upon a vapor or a mist. That's scary. So what do we do? Well, I'll tell you this. It's the Creator. It is the Creator who created the creature. That's us. We're the creature. The Creator who created the creature. Folks, it's clear that we acknowledge this because He has the full view of our lives. Our perspective is limited. We think we have a full view, but oh goodness gracious, we do not. Only God Himself has a full view of our lives. He is in control. So, knowing this, right, we should, in light of this, think about it, we should be planning our lives with respect to our future, knowing the brevity, knowing the uncertainty of life, with this, the humility and meekness and wisdom, the humility and meekness and wisdom in submission to God Almighty and His will. And I know that sounds, Mark Tanner, that's just a bullet point. You could have said that the whole time. We got that. But do we? Do we have that? I want to read that again. And the humility and meekness of wisdom in submission to God Almighty and His will. This is what we are called to do. So we are either, one, ignoring God's will completely. I'm not into that. I'm not going to do it. right? Or we know His will and we choose to disobey it. Or, good one. I like this one. We are walking in His will. you got three options. You can ignore, you can disobey, or you can walk in God's will. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I truly believe this. The greatest life that can be lived is when God's will becomes ours. When God's will becomes ours. When our wills fall in line with His will. I'm not saying life's going to be any easier. Please don't mistake what I'm saying for that. I'm not saying life is going to be easier, but I will tell you that you are going to be gaining a quality and an enrichment to life that you could never have known without God. The greatest life that can be lived is the life that is living in the will of God. But you first have to know Him in order to know His will. And that's what you and I are doing. We're getting to know our God. As we know, it will be revealed. And when you come to know God, do you know that we begin to delight in Him? I love that word. Delight. We begin to delight in Him. Psalm 48. Psalm 48. I delight to do Your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Think about this. When you are submitting to God and His authority, and you are allowing His Word to take over, it's called surrender, take over your life, you are in submission. And the Word begins to become part of who you are. If they came in and took all our Bibles and they burned them out there in the parking lot, all this group here could get together and start writing 
a lot of the verses from the books. We could recreate a lot of the Bible, and that's what we would need to do if they took our Bibles. Because where's the law written? Where is his word written? It begins to be written in our heart. It becomes part of us. This is that submission. This is where life becomes delightful. This is where delight comes in. So as we act upon his will in our lives, we begin to delight in God all the more. Test me and see if I'm wrong, ladies and gentlemen. This delight is real, especially when you look at the benefits of living in the Lord's will. A deeper relationship. Everybody in here wants a deeper relationship with their Lord and Savior. They want a mindset that geared toward truth. I want to be able to spot the false. I want to be able to spot the counterfeit. I want to stay on the road. I don't want to move to the right or to the left. I want to stay on that road. We have a mindset geared towards truth. Answered prayers. Do you realize when your life is within the will of God and it's His will? Answered prayers. And anticipation of His return and His reward. For every Christian, there is that anticipation of His return and His reward. And there's one, I really like this one. And I challenge you to tell me if if, if you don't think about this. As believers, right, walking in God's will, we have uh, that eternal quality built in. We have an eternal quality that a believer possesses when their life and works are in line with the will of the Lord, the Lord's will. I like what Jesus says. Uh, Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 34, he says this, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What a goal to have. What a goal to have as our relationship deepens, as we begin to experience his will and delight in doing it. To do his will is my food. Food is life, right? Have you ever been so hungry that you say, I'm starving to death? Daily I say that. Monterey's fixes it, but daily I say that. I could go three hours and go, my goodness, I know what these kids that haven't eaten for weeks feel like. I'm a moron. I don't know. That's horrible. I get so hungry. But think of the craving we have. Think of the craving we have when it comes to hunger. Food is nourishment. Food is sustenance. And if you go a long time without it, it will cause death. You will die. You have to have food. It's life. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is what God's will should become for us. It should become like our food. It should be a craving. It should be something we look to as sustenance in our life. You know, I want to be confident. I bet you too. If we want to be confident in tomorrow, If we want to be confident in where we are being led, if we want to be confident in our decisions and all that is involved in the living out the complexities of life, then we need to look to God and His planning. Psalm 33.11 sums it up so well. Psalm 33.11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. God's will is an expression of his love. Have you ever thought about that? God's will for us is an expression of his love. And the greatest expression of that love is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
1 John 4, 9 through 10. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Brought to life. He came down here. He's among us. That God sent His only Son into the world, get this, so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but He loved us. Excuse me, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Think about it. God came down to pursue you. He loved you first. He sought you first. You didn't seek Him. And now we are introduced to this Lord and Savior who is bringing us salvation, redeeming us, bringing back to us, to us the, the, the original design. And he's saying, listen, in me, you're going to live through me. Not only for eternity in this life, but to live through me, you have to know me. And you have to know my will. And if you're going to know my will, it needs to be revealed to you. It needs to be revealed. God's Word. And guess what all this is for? You know, I know the world gets caught up and well, it's, it's about money. It's about the largest bank account. No, it's about the most toys. No, it's about this. It's about that. No, everything is all for His glory. We forget that all the time, that it's all about God's glory. Let me tell you something. Your birth brings glory to God. Your life brings glory to God. Your salvation brings glory to God. Your death will bring glory to God, and you better believe that your resurrection, body and spirit, your resurrection will bring glory to God. The sole purpose for all things is to bring glory to God. So let's look at this little vapor, this little mist that's positioned right in between your birth and your death, right? That little vapor, that little mist. Folks, bringing glory to God includes the planning of your very life. Where does God fit in? He wants to reveal Himself to you. He does. He's waiting for you. We just have to go to Him. We have to pray to God to open up. Lord, give me the Word. Show me. Study this book. He will reveal Himself. He will reveal His will. And when He does that, you will begin to delight and realize this is the greatest life I could have ever lived under the will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just thank You so much that, Lord, it's not about us. Sometimes we think it's all about us, but it's not about us. As creatures, as created beings, Father, we are made to bring You glory. In every aspect and element of our life, we are made to bring You glory, Father. And in order to do that, we need to be walking with you. We need to be in your will. We can plan everything. We can structure our lives and outline everything from birth to death. But none of it matters if you are not included in those plans. It's arrogance. It's evil. Because we belong to you. We belong to you, Father God. So I pray today, Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that's hearing this word, that we begin to embrace just how important 
and how relevant your word is to our life. It brings us into submission. It brings us into walking within your will, Father. It keeps us on that road of safety. Father, this is what we're looking for. This is what we're praying for. Father God, let us structure our lives. Let us plan our lives according to your will. We have to know you, though. Father God, bring us closer to you. Draw us nearer. Reveal yourself so that we can truly understand what you have planned and purposed for our very lives. That's our prayer, Father God. And if there's someone here, Lord, that does not know you today, I pray that you just right now convict them. Let the Holy Spirit, Lord, just open their hearts to receiving you as Lord and Savior so they can begin this perfect and wonderful life of living under your will that brings you glory and you alone. We love you. We love you so much and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the music, Lord. We thank you for the the communication we have between you and, and this church, Father, through prayer right now. We just ask for it, Lord, for your blessings. And we ask, Father, right now that we continue to dive deep into your word so that you convict and you reveal, you teach and instruct, and you lead us, Father. You lead us, if the Lord wills. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.